I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the Godzilla of IPOs. Uber says it will start trading shares on the New York Stock Exchange within weeks in what is expected to be the biggest Wall Street debut in the U.S. tech sector since Facebook in 2012. On the show today, our business editor, Owen Thomas, talks to reporter Carolyn Saeed about how Uber is expected to join other companies, including Lyft and Pinterest and others, in a stampede toward public offerings that could shake up the Bay Area. How will Uber's IPO affect drivers, riders, and the region's economy? All that right after this. Here's Owen Thomas and Carolyn Saeed on Uber's initial public offering. Carolyn, what happened with Uber today? It was a long-awaited event. Uber filed papers to go public on Wall Street. It will debut on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol, get this, Uber, probably sometime in May. Um, Although the company has all along for the past couple of years been talking about its financials, kind of to prepare people for how much money it's been losing, this is the first time we're seeing really detailed numbers on how much it's losing, and it's a lot. It lost $1.8 billion last year. Though technically it reported a profit, right? What's that about? That's only because it divested some um, operations overseas in Southeast Asia and Russia. So without that, it lost $1.8 billion, and that is the number that investors will look at. Over, um, left- right, that's from its, from its operations, from running right, right from running its business. Yep. And it has, as it says itself, it has never made any money from its business, and it may never make any money. That is actually not unusual these days on Wall Street. What investors value more than anything is growth rather than profits. But at the same time, Uber's growth is also somewhat slowing down. Um, it, it just from 27 to 2018, it didn't grow as quickly as it had the prior year. Do you think that has something to do with the change in leadership? Uh, the current CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, replaced co-founder Travis Kalanick in 2017 after a lot of controversy. I would be hesitant to peg the slowdown in growth to the change in leadership. I think it's that they've been retrenching in some international markets um, and and perhaps even though that they're saying they've only tapped 2% of the potential market out there, there could be that there are a lot of people who just aren't quite ready to hop in a ride-hailing car yet. And they're facing a lot of competition, particularly in the U.S. from Lyft, which uh, has been touting its increasing U.S. market share and, by the way, went public just last month. Right. And Lyft's going public turned out not to be that great of a thing for Uber. Lyft had a lot of interest from investors before it went public, and it ended up um, setting its target price higher than it had planned to, and it had a great opening day, the stock popped, and since then it's been tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. And that has kind of dampened people's um, thoughts about this. Uber originally was going to seek a $120 billion valuation, and now we're hearing that it's only going to seek a $100 billion valuation because it would rather have its early investors do well and have that great pop at the beginning than follow the what happened to Lyft and see it start falling. Even though that means potentially leaving some money on the table, raising less cash to run their operations. Right. It is funny, though, that we're talking about only $100 billion right. when you think back. $100 billion to, here, uh, $100 billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what are, you know, this is going to be a big deal regardless of that of that final number. What are the immediate effects going to be for uh, 
for Uber and its employees? Well, a lot of Uber's employees are going to become overnight millionaires um, and some billionaires. Um, initially, for most of them, that will be on paper because they can't really sell their stock for six months. But Uber is going to mint a lot of very wealthy people, and that will have an effect both for those individuals and for the city that most of them live in, which is San Francisco, and for the Bay Area and California. There'll be a lot of people out there able to go shopping for even more expensive houses, which will continue to drive up our already sky-high price of real estate. Um, the tax coffers of both San Francisco and California will get some benefit from it, and all kinds of ancillary businesses should get some benefit, too. Though our colleague Kathleen Pender reported that some studies show that there's a fairly limited effect uh, from IPOs on regional housing prices. Forbes estimated that the 2019 IPO wave might create about 6,000 millionaires. It seems like a lot of people are kind of breathlessly overhyping the wealth. Effect. You could say that. I mean, for one thing, none of these Uber employees are currently homeless. They all occupy housing units. Even if they decide to trade up to nicer housing units, it will not actually change the supply of housing in the Bay Area. I would guarantee that you that there's not a single Uber employee who is unhoused, other than some drivers who might very well be. That's true. Well, let's talk about the drivers. What What is this IPO going to do for drivers, if anything? So Uber has made arrangements to try to um, help its drivers. It has put aside $300 million that it is going to hand out in driver bonuses. It says 1.1 million drivers should get these bonuses, and they will range from $100 to $10,000, depending on how many rides those drivers gave in their lifetime. And those drivers can use that money to buy the stock at the opening day price, which is a pretty good deal because, it, as we've talked about, it's very likely to have a pop-up on that initial day. Lyft did something similar, but it only had two categories, drivers with 10,000 miles and drivers with 20,000 miles. And so that we never heard exactly how many drivers got that deal, but it, it was a more limited number. Uber's offer to drivers here does appear much more broad um, broadly targeted. And those Lyft drivers who bought at the offering price actually, perhaps unexpectedly, are um, sitting on a paper loss. Uh, their shares declined. That's from the true. Although unlike employees, the Lyft drivers were not subject to a lockup period. So if some of them may have sold that very first day, and then they could have pocketed a, a little bit of that 20% pop. They could have made a quick profit. Yep. Well, uh, it seems like the least that Lyft and, and Uber can do for their drivers. There is a protest today, um, Thursday, here in San Francisco. What are the controversies around Uber and Lyft's relationship with their drivers? The controversies are, are ongoing and, and really quite significant because drivers are the backbone of both companies' businesses. As Uber discusses at length in its filing, there are many regulatory movements afoot, notably one right here in California that, that already is um, happening due to a Supreme Court decision and could become codified with pending legislation that would turn drivers into employees. That would increase labor costs by at least 30% if the companies have to pay for minimum wage and overtime and all kinds of benefits. And the companies also say they would lose the flexibility that they need to operate their business. I mean, Uber basically said in its prospectus that if this happens, our entire business model could be upended. And if it's not a simple matter of just raising fares, uh, Uber and Lyft have found that demand for ride hailing is highly elastic, to use a complex economic term. What that means is just that riders respond to how much a ride costs, and they sometimes choose to walk or take a bus or take a you know or take some other mode of transportation. 
Right. And one of the reasons that Uber loses so much money is that it is perpetually dangling incentives in front of riders to get them to hop aboard. And it's likewise dangling incentives in front of drivers to get them to drive. You know, you could say that, you know, every time you take a trip to the airport, it only costs $11, where it used to cost $30. Well, SoftBank and the Saudi Investment Fund are actually subsidizing the cost of your ride because they're Uber's investors. And in theory, now the uh, once Uber goes public, the public market investors will be subsidizing those rides. Do you think they'll be as patient and will as enthusiastic as? Not at all. <laughs> public market investors are not at all known for their patience, as we saw with Lyft on day two. They were already like, "Where's the money?" <laughs> so, so I, I do think by going public, both of these companies have opened themselves up to a lot more scrutiny and a lot more um, sense of that they have to perform, that they have to meet benchmarks, which could be difficult. Does it kind of give a, uh, you know, give a pause to the, you know, ruthless competition between these two companies? Since they both have public investors watching them, will they be a little less free in spending? I would think the ruthless competition, if anything, would increase because they both need to try to show, um, you know, their, their best, their best, put their best foot forward. Um, but at the same time, they can't just hand out the money like they're throwing candy in a parade or something. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how that is going to manifest itself. It really is an open question now that these companies are subjecting themselves to the psychology of, um, of public market investors. Will they value growth? Will they value progress towards curbing these losses? Will they value market share? What is it that investors are really looking for at this moment? And right. I don't think we'll know right away. Um, you know, the old quote from um, Benjamin Graham that the, the market is in the short term a voting machine and in the long term a weighing machine. I think it really applies <laughs> to Lyft and Uber. Yeah. One thing that's different about Uber is it has multiple business units. I mean, Lyft really has ride hailing. And more recently, it started to do the e-bike and the scooter rentals. But that's a teeny, teeny fraction of its business. Uber also has started to do the e-bike and the e-scooter rentals as a teeny fraction of its business. But it does have its Uber Eats food delivery service, which is rapidly growing. It actually had more rapid growth Um, top line growth than um, Uber's ride hailing service did. And Uber is saying that it is the largest food delivery service in the world outside of China. In addition, Uber has Uber Freight, which is a logistics management system for trucking. And that also is um, growing fairly rapidly. So Uber is trying to make the case that, you know, it has only just begun to grow, you know, so that that the world is its oyster. There's still millions and millions of people out there who haven't used it. And it's going to go and get them. What's next for the IPO market? What other companies are teeing up for an offering this year? Well, we have Pinterest, which is already filed. And interestingly, Pinterest um, filed at a lower um, amount than, than it was most recently valued at in the private market. And that, again, was probably a reaction to what happened with Lyft. Then we have Slack coming up. Um, both San Francisco companies, by the way, Slack and Pinterest. Companies. Right. We have Palantir, which is um, in Palo Alto. But basically, we have a lot of companies that are decacorns. Um, decacorn. What's that? Is that a that's a play? I've heard of Unicorn, which is a highly valued private company that might, in other circumstances, uh, be public by now. Right. Deca- unicorn was coined because it was supposed to be so rare, but unicorns are no longer rare. There are hundreds of them. Decacorn means a company that's worth at least ten billion, and we have maybe six of them queuing up. And Uber being worth more than a Hundred billion could be called a centicorn, but 
nobody's actually gone that far in making that terminology. That yet. sounds like a hybrid between a centipede and, and a unicorn. Yeah. It's a little disturbing. <laughs> yeah. So Carolyn, these uh, you've got these unicorns, decacorns, centicorns, whatever, stampeding towards the market. What do you think the implications are for uh, for the Bay Area? I mean, there's already concern about income inequality, housing costs, and um, companies are saying it's very hard to compete for talent. Do, does this just exacerbate all of those trends? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, in in you know in the run up to the dot com bust, right before the dot-com bust, when we were having the dot-com boom and companies were going public and um, spending money hand over fist, you know, we we saw the gentrification really increase. And, and that's already been happening in the last few years, even without all these companies going public. But I, I do think it'll exacerbate these trends that, that are already here. And, and, um, and I don't see a good solution, really. I mean, there are things that, the, you know, the companies could do more than they have been doing with... Um, charitable donations with supporting things like prop San Francisco's prop C, which would, you know, tax them more to help pay for homeless services. Um, but it, it is an unfortunate reality that the gap between rich and poor have and have not is continuing to grow in San Francisco and the Bay area. And there doesn't really seem to be a great solution. It will be very interesting to see if these companies, uh, newly public, take an increased civic role. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for taking the time to answer all these questions. I'll let you get back to reporting. Thanks. That was business editor Owen Thomas and staff writer Carolyn Said. Thanks to them, and thank you for joining us. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. <laughs>